a personal one for the for the both of us man and this is about grief and how to deal with grief and so right now as you're listening there's a lot there are a lot of reasons to grieve um right now some more killings of some unarmed black folks and and some more unrest we have elections coming up and things and corona is still running wild through here and so there's just like a lot to grieve and so i think this podcast is good for our listeners because we kind of need to learn how to digest some of the stuff that we are ingesting every day. But then on the flip side, I think it's appropriate. It's because things have been so heavy. And for me, speaking for me, this was such an uplifting podcast. It's such an uplifting interview. For our listeners, my father passed away a little over a year ago. And and to even uh, get to talk about that and have some insight and some good conversations around the loss of a loved one with Mel Lorenz was so just uplifting for my spirit. Yeah, man, I feel like the book that Mel wrote, A Chronicle of Grief, it definitely touches on so much that I know I dealt with when my father passed away a couple of years ago, and I know that just living in a fallen world where you have death and disappointment and yeah just crisis and difficulty all around you i just feel like it's good for us to know how to grieve it's good for us to talk about grief we avoid death so much in our culture even though it's a natural part of life we try to sterilize it we try to not think about it we try to silo it and compartmentalize it i feel like this interview and the conversation that we had really just breaks through that. It's really good for us to know how to walk alongside people that deal with traumatic loss and traumatic issues because a lot of the times we just walk on eggshells or we don't know how to deal with it or we don't feel confident. And, and that's the times when our friends, our family, the people in our lives need us the most. So yeah, man. Yeah, well, you talk about like, we end up being like Job's friends, right? That was one of the things we discussed in this is just like, yo, how do you navigate being, how do you grieve with somebody? That's a, that's not something that comes natural to a lot of people. And so typically when my, like when my father passed, like I heard a lot of really good things from people. I heard a lot of really like, I know that you mean the best. And so there's extra grace needed for what you just said. But even just that, how do you walk with somebody through their grief was, was something that we touched on super important. Yeah, man, I hope this is uplifting for those who have experienced grief. And I hope this is teaching for those who are currently going through it right now. Yeah, so please keep it locked. We have, as we mentioned, Mel Lorenz. He wrote a book called A Chronicle of Grief. He's a Christian leader, and he's also experienced some deep loss in his life. So he's got a lot of great insights, and um, we are excited for this interview. So keep it locked. This is City Image. What is up, family? It's Brian, the Theological Giant. I just want to thank all of you for listening to the City Image podcast. Your continued support gives us the ability to produce faith-based content 
that is relevant to the urban context. If you haven't already, subscribe to City Image so that you won't miss any of our episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast on every major platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast helps us grow our audience. Also, if you've been blessed by our work, please consider sharing our content with friends and on social media. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The City Image and make sure to like the City Image Facebook page as well. Lastly, feel free to email any feedback, thoughts, and comments on any of our episodes at cityimagepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and enjoy the episode. We are back. Mel, thank you for joining City Image. We are really excited to talk to you um, about your book, Chronicle of Grief. This was a book, as Clay and I were just reading through, that really resonated with both of us. We have both lost parents in the last couple of years. We really feel like your story and what God has spoken to you through your story, I think is really going to resonate with people. And so thank you for coming on. I'm glad to talk to you and your audience. So tell us a bit about your personal story and and what led you up to writing uh, Chronicle of Grief. You mentioned writing as something that helped you with the grief you were experiencing. Really curious just to, one, hear your story and then also hear what led to you writing the book. Yeah. Both my wife and I have had losses uh, in our lives growing up. I lost my father when I was just four years old and other things along the way. But three years ago, after several months, or actually several years of illness, our beautiful 30-year-old daughter suddenly and unexpectedly passed away. She had an infection that kind of raced through her body. And one day she collapsed in the house and, and she was gone. It was shocking, stunning what professionals call traumatic. It's a traumatic kind of loss. 14 months later, when my mom died and she was in her 80s, it was sad, but it wasn't the same thing as losing somebody that it it just didn't seem like the right time. So it it plunged my, my wife and I and our son into a very severe distress. I had actually written a couple of books on, on grief and trauma years ago with a psychologist friend, but it wasn't until I experienced this episode that I really understood it. And um, in that first week, I, out of my pain, wrote a few hundred words. I put it on Facebook. I sent it to a few friends. I was doing it just to get the pain off of my chest. And then a month later, I, I, I did another post, and a month after that, and a month after that. And the shocking thing to me is that people were saying this is very helpful to them. They said it's mm. very difficult to read this stuff because you're being brutally honest with it. And I was. And a year and a half later, after I'm sitting on this material, a set of circumstances happened. I started writing a book, filling in the gaps. It, it ended up being a, a short and concise book called A Chronicle of Grief. It's our story. It's my story in particular. And I wrote it to help people because I I think people need to know before they get there what 
traumatic losses, but everybody needs to know how can you show proper support and sympathy to your friends and family members who are going mm. through it. As I say, it was, it was unexpected. Uh, I, again, I was writing just to get some of the pain off of my chest, but I think also in retrospect, I wanted people to know my daughter, Eva. I wanted mm. to, them to know what a wonderful and beautiful young person she was, one of the most honest people I've ever known, always held me accountable, really smart, um, really filled with integrity. And I think I wanted people to know her a little bit. But the responses were, this is raw, this is difficult, but thank you for writing it. Because I was writing what was actually happening in real time, month after month. But then the surprising thing is people said, this is really helpful to me. Some would say, I've, I haven't gone through this kind of loss in my life, but I want to know. Others said, I haven't had to cross this kind of a bridge, but I feel like you're preparing me for the day when I might. And uh, that was the surprise, is people mm -hmm. saying this, very, this chronicling of one person's story of grief was helping them to prepare. I don't think we talk openly enough about grief. And, and and so some people are just all over the place. Nobody really knows how to handle it. If somebody else, yeah. if it's personally happening to you or somebody that you care about, how do you really, we, we start to get like Job's friends. A lot of people say like the worst things or some people say the best things. And I found that I really didn't want to hear from anybody that didn't have a similar experience. Because I had... <laughs> He meant so well. His intentions were good. But I, I even had someone come up to me at church. And I hope he's not listening to this, cause, but I'm not going to say his name. But he was just like, he goes, hey, man, I'm, I'm really sorry for your loss. If it makes you feel any better, I lost my job. And I was like, no, that doesn't make me feel any better whatsoever. But I understood he was trying, you know, but I, I appreciate the, the dialogue. I guess that you're starting and just being raw and open and teaching people how to grieve with you. And that was yeah. something that I had to learn. How do I help? How do I teach people how to grieve with me? Cause I don't want them to cause an accidental offense. And I also am tired of using the same, the, the, the scripted out response when people are like, Oh, how are you doing? Or if you need anything and, and all that stuff, I really just wanted to hear from people who lost their father yeah. because that's, and, and it's because it was those folks who knew how to empathize, knew how to sympathize, to sit with me, even when it's uncomfortable. So I, I appreciate your vulnerability and your honesty. And I think if nothing else, that's going to help people to just start to think about how do you sit in grief? What I'd like people to know is that, if you can be a support to somebody else, it's a wonderful thing of all of the purposeful things we can do in life. To help somebody survive a bone-crushing loss is a great privilege, and it's not too difficult. You're right, exactly. In our culture, we don't do well with this. We, we're very clumsy with it. We have a lot of misconceptions. And so I, I guess I'd like to just say to anybody listening, uh, first of all, don't be afraid to talk 
to somebody who's experiencing weight loss about their loss. Many people think, oh, if I talk about it, it's going to inflict pain on them. No, they're already in pain. And if you talk to them, if you say, tell me about your father, tell me about mm -hmm. your daughter, that's huge. And then sympathy yeah. is not a matter of trying to make somebody feel better because you won't make them feel better. You're not trying to fix a problem because grief is not a problem to be solved. It's just a process that you'll live out. It isn't to tell them something about faith in God that they probably don't know already. And so I can tell, I can say from personal experience, the most helpful things were the simplest possible thing. When somebody says, I can't even imagine what you're going through. Because when somebody said that, I knew that they were trying to understand. The mm. fact that they couldn't understand mm. that said that to me. Like people would say, I have no words. That was a huge blessing. And then the other thing that people can say, we can say to each other, is so simple. Just say, I'm thinking about you today. Mm. To give somebody else the gift of holding you in their minds when they're going through pain is huge. To summarize what I'm, this is my big mission right now. You're not trying to fix a problem. You're not trying to make them feel better. Don't hesitate to call them, to write to them, to bring up the loss. You're not inflicting pain. As a matter of fact, one of the worst things for a person in grief is if they feel as though there's nobody around me mm. that they've been talking to me. And, and I would say this, if you pick up the phone to call somebody or text them or whatever, if they don't want to respond, they won't respond. It's up to them. Yeah. So close the gap, approach your friend, your family member who's gone through a loss. And it's, it's not tidy. There's a lot of awkwardness to it, but it's not too difficult. I also think just doing stuff, just, 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 you know, when people are like, Hey, if there's anything you need, don't put that on me to now ask you for something. You know what I mean? Just do it, right? If you wanted yeah. to make some... My students, I, I run a youth ministry at my church, and they did... They had the best response for me when, when my father passed. One Sunday, they all just come up to me, and they baked me a cake. And they were just like, we don't know what else to do. Here's the cake. And I sat in service with the spoon, just eating this cake. And I was like crying. I was like, this is the best thing. And it was the, it was the most comfortable. But they, they just did something. They didn't, they didn't have the most eloquent words. They didn't say anything that dragged me out of what I was feeling. They just served. And I think that's something I, I wish people would understand. Just do something. Yeah. I agree. This book was just published this week, and I'm getting people asking me, do you think it's okay if I give this small book to this person who's going through this loss? And, and here's what I tell people about giving books to grieving people. Go ahead and do it if you're so inclined. But tell the person, listen, maybe this will be helpful. Maybe it won't be. Maybe mm -hmm. you'll want to read it later on. Maybe you'll want to read parts of it. So what you're doing is you're taking away the expectation that they're going to read something just because you gave it to them. That's mm -hmm. not fair to a grieving person. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a real blessing to give somebody the right kind of book and just take the pressure off and say, listen, maybe this is helpful. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it's later on. And 
But if a particular book becomes a medicine for somebody when they're hurting, that's a huge blessing to be able to mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. And I think what you said about the pain and difficulty of feeling like everyone has moved on and no one's thinking about your situation. Three months later, having the expectation that you have to come back to normal or even a year or two years later, like there's no, there's no normal again. You, you, yeah, you have to press on and, and just kind of navigate like the new realities. And one thing you talk about in the book is you talk about this notion of plotting versus persevering through pain and like the step-by-step -step process. Could you maybe go into a little bit of that concept? What do you mean by plotting as a means of grieving and navigating how difficult the day-to-day -day is? Yeah. The word plod means to trudge ahead, put one foot in front of the next. It's what we mean when we say take one day at a time. And that's a cliche. And cliches are oftentimes a cheap way of navigating your life, unless the cliche is completely true. <laughs> and one day at a time, and in the case of traumatic grief, sometimes it's one hour at a time, is completely true. In other words, I can just keep moving forward. So I used that in a talk years ago, and it's the illustration of the people of have spoken back to me more than anything else I've ever taught anywhere. Because a lot of people say, whether they're going through divorce or losing a job or they have a health crisis or a loved one dies and all of a sudden their the world is turned upside down, they feel as though they've been shoved into the ditch. If you can say to yourself, today I can take one step forward, that's what plotting means. And so I've had so many people say to me over the years that said, yeah, I, I can plot. I can put, just take the next step. Just get through today. I don't think that it is different from perseverance. I think that plotting is essentially what we mean by the word perseverance. And the, the, one of the reasons why in the Bible, the word, the word perseverance comes up all the time is because is described as a great character quality. And in fact, in the history of the world, all of the great leaders of the world, the one characteristic that they have is that they're able to persevere, to go through the difficult times. It's, it's something that people were more capable of doing it than what we realize. But I would say this too. God gives us the ability to go through the tough stuff when we get there. If you would have told me five years ago, how would you survive if your daughter suddenly passed away, I would have felt completely lost. But when it actually happened, then it gets real. And you say, okay, what is it going to take to plot or to persevere through the next few days? Mm. Yeah. And I think for people right now, plotting that concept of just putting one foot in front of the, the next is so important because I'm talking to friends that have lost their job, who have gone to school for years that, and were hitting their stride and, and now have been unemployed for like three, four months. There's some people at my church that have lost three family members. I know one person who knows mm. uh, double digit people that have passed away from coronavirus. And wow. with all these things happening, at the same time, 
Yeah. Um, especially with everybody suffering together, I think we, in a lot of ways, it's humbling to the fact where we really can't map out what recovery looks like over the next year. We really just have yeah. to look at, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to maintain, how am I going to support the people around me this week? And yeah. in a lot of ways, I think that that's the way we should go through life to begin with, right? Like how much more full and, and vibrant would our lives and communities be if, if we had the mentality, but, but there's something about grief that kind of makes you dig into that. So yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I feel um, like grief can go either way. I feel I feel like it can humble you and it can make you appreciate the things. I think to your point, you mentioned like leaning into it. Like you have to face the grief. You have to go straight at it. I, I think if you do that in a healthy way with the right support, I think you come out on the other end of it more grateful for what you do have. Or you can avoid it like the plague and pretend like it doesn't exist. Um, and it rears its head in a negative way for the rest of your life. And so hopefully this is something that we're all taking away. We're all looking at what's going on with COVID and, and all that and just being a little more humble, just being yeah. more appreciative. It's true. It's true. And there's nothing new about this. Death is a part of life. Death is a part of life. Mm. And we all are going to have to do our own dying. It's a strange idea but it's it's hard <laughs> it's hard to mature in that way to face that reality but I, I would like anybody listening to this to know you can do it whatever it is that you're facing you can get through it and I would include other kinds of trauma if your house burned down if you were physically assaulted you can get through it even though you may feel as though you can't you need to find people in your life whom you can trust and confide in them, but let them know what you need and what you don't need and recognize it's going to be clumsy. And, and also, Andy, as you mentioned before, recognize that six months down the road, your friend will have moved on in their life. They're, they're not, they're not going to early on. They might feel your pain, which is what the word sympathy means. That literally means to suffer with. But six months down the line, you're still feeling it. But they just don't feel it anymore. And that's, that's not wrong. But anyway, my main message is to anybody listening, you can get through it. You really can. Mm. Yeah, one, one of the things that you wrote in the book that I, I found interesting along those lines is that while recovery is possible... He said, one of the greatest barriers to recovering from a heart-rending loss, ironically, is the fear of recovering. And so could you speak a little bit to that? Because I know for me personally, when I lost my dad, it happened so quick. I wasn't anticipating life without him. And you almost kind of don't want to move on, but you recognize that to some degree you have to. And so can you explain a little bit of, of what the fear of recovering looked like for you and, and maybe what it might look like for people who are listening? It's a real paradox, isn't it? And uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. When you're experiencing the pain of the loss of your loved one, in a way, your pain is an act of honor to them and love to them. I felt as though the intense pain that I experienced was really an act of love toward my daughter. 
And what I meant by that quote is you fear that if a year down the line or two years down the line, you get back to some normalcy of life, that if you're leaving your loved one in the past, and I would say to this day, that's difficult for me to think that I now speak of my daughter in the past tense. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to speak about her in the past tense. And there's a mysterious way in which I think that you can talk about your present-day relationship with a loved one, even though they have passed away. But the fear of recovering is that you will lose your loved one in another way because you've moved on. And then there's also even a little bit of guilt. If I experience moments of happiness, is that dishonoring to this person that I lost? Mm. So there's all kinds of twists and turns with the process of grieving. And it's different for everybody, too. It was different for me, different yeah. for my wife, different for my son. Yeah. Yeah. For me, that's true. The I don't know if that I want to, I definitely want to preserve. What's interesting is I think about my dad every day. He passed just over a year ago, but I, something will remind me of my father. I keep, I have a voicemail from him that I, I've saved on my phone just so I can hear his voice sometimes. But even when I'm not consciously thinking about my father, he will pop up somewhere. I look just like my dad. So I can look in the mirror, see my dad and think, and it's not, it's not always a sad moment, right? It's not always like this, like, weeping and and all that but throughout the day something will remind me of my father and so my my question to you because this is something that's very curious i'm very curious about like how do you find yourself like navigating like your home when so much of it reminds you of your daughter well or, or to anybody reminds you of your lost one yeah that's a good example of something that gets easier over time in the early weeks it was extremely difficult because our daughter lived with us. I could still smell her perfume lingering in the air. Mm. And my goodness, you know, when I would go to that part of the house, it would be like, wait a minute. Is she just around the corner? Now mm. we took her bedroom and changed it into a different kind of room. And a year mm. later, it felt uncomfortable but a year after that, it was easier. A year after that, for us, it's been three years now. Mm -hmm. A year after that, it was easier. One of the things about grief is that in your brain, and this is, scientists will tell you that literally, physically, in your brain and in your mind, a new reality of life that includes the loss of a loved one is being etched into your mind over and over and early on that uh, reshaping of your mind feels alien and unwelcome but a year later two years later three years later you still miss your loved one you still have that sense of loss but when you go through the house you don't have the same pain that you had six weeks after it happened, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You mentioned how your 
father passed away when you were four and how that kind of gave you an earlier perspective on mortality and just kind of made you super, I mean, as, as you mentioned, I, I love what you said earlier in the interview where you were just like, death is a part of life. And this is something that as a culture and as a society, we seem to try to avoid at all costs and sanitize or compartmentalize, but it's something that's, it's a reality for all of us. How, how did coming to grips with that reality so early impact the perspectives you had, the way that you saw the world, the way that you saw your life? And from that, are there any principles or any kind of takeaways that you feel like you could give to us in terms of how we go about processing the day-to-day just with that reality that death is a part of life? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know how old you two guys are. My father was 26 years old when he died. He was 26 years old. And that's pretty young. He died of sudden pneumonia. I was four years old at the time. And so when I got to my 27th birthday, I felt as though I was navigating off the map, like I was in mm-hmm. the uncharted territory. And, and, and in a weird way, I felt, and this wasn't morbid, but I sensed my own mortality. I sensed, okay, I'm now a year older than my father ever achieved, and then two years, and then three years. Now, that was just my personal experience. Other people can go along in life for a pretty long time and not experience a significant loss. But here's what I would say is that when you do have a loss, it could be a grandparent, could be an aunt or an uncle, it could even be a pet. Don't shield yourself from what you can learn from that loss. Mm. Personally, I'm not a big pet person. My wife is, and our two kids were, but I know that families that when their kids have pets who die, get hit by a car or get sick, um, you learn a little bit about life and death. And we shouldn't shield ourselves from that. My family chose to shield me from my father's funeral. I know they were well-meaning in doing that. Frankly, I I wish that they hadn't shielded me from that. We need to, whenever we experience losses, to be fully exposed to it. I would say, too, with losing losing a job, getting divorced, don't shield yourself from learning from that. And those of us who are trying to be sympathetic to other people who have a loss, the worst possible thing is if we avoid talking about it because we don't want to be uncomfortable. We need to get over that, frankly, selfishness. We need to say, it may be uncomfortable for me to ask my friend how they're doing two months after the divorce, but my comfort is not the issue here. I'm going to ask them. And even if it's an awkward conversation, even if it, may, even if it brings tears to the eyes of my friend, I'm going to do it. Because the ministry of empathy and sympathy is an inherently honorable thing. I think exposing yourself to the grief and leaning into it is so important. But what about folks that, okay, just an example, I had a, fr- I had a friend, she lost her mother and she went into just work mode. And, and I understand everyone is different, but she, it felt like she was avoiding 
the pain, avoiding the suffering, and just became busy, right? As a lot of people often do. How do you navigate? Is it anybody's place to say, hey, I don't think you're doing this in a healthy way? That's that's a hard I don't know anybody who Yeah, how do you intervene if you feel like if you feel like someone's not yeah, I, that's a great It's subjective, like but clearly yeah, yeah. like there are some really wrong ways to go about that's, doing it. That's actually a great question. And I don't think that we ever tell a grieving person you're not doing this right. Um now, some people are not handling things the way that they should. But the way that we help them is just by drawing them out, just by talking to them. Because the only thing I can really think about somebody mishandling it is the person who is in complete denial of what is happening. I will never, ever criticize somebody for using distraction to get through the day because I had to do that. On the one hand, I and my wife wanted to look squarely in the eye of the pain and the loss. On the other hand, there are definitely times when the pain is too much and you feel fear and panic and you, you need to look away. But if you have a friend who you say, I'm really concerned about them because it's been six months and they're pretending like this didn't even happen and that's not good, you don't tell them you're not doing this right because there is no there's no one right pattern. But I think you break in by trying to draw them out. Mm. Say, and not generically, not like how you doing now. That's okay to say, but better to say, I've been thinking about you a lot lately, and I never did hear much about your father. Mm. Tell mm. me about him. Mm-hmm. People rarely will do that, but I get you guys who you've lost your fathers. You told me in recent years, if somebody were to say that to you, what an honor yeah. for somebody to say to you, tell me a little bit about your father. Wow. That could just break the whole thing open. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Even today, if somebody asks me, tell me about your dad, it's almost, almost brings me to, to tears just thinking about it because I get to. I get to think about my dad in a in a really awesome way, and I get to share that with somebody. There, I don't think I, if I was avoiding it, and somebody asked me that question, I don't, I don't think I could I could keep the exterior up. That's a great thank you. That's and a that's great answer good. to that question. <laughs> I, this happened to me two days ago in a radio interview in Detroit. The interviewer lost his own daughter, and his first question to me in this radio interview is, "Tell me about your daughter." Mm. I choked up. I mm. could barely talk. It wasn't what I was expecting for the interviewer to ask, but he asked that because he's been through a similar thing. So again, anybody who's listening to this, I would say, if you've got a friend who's suffering through bereavement, give them the opportunity to tell you about the person who they love and they have lost. And wow, what an honor. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I just really appreciate, as Clay said, the rawness and the realness and just like the confrontation of all these things. Like I remember I was at a diner with like a group of like 10 friends right after my dad passed away. This was maybe like nine months. And one of my friends just in the middle of the diner just started talking about my dad. 
And like, he knew that that would minister to me and that would, that would help me. And, uh, and everyone got really tense and awkward, you know, but he just kind of went for it. And it was, it's, it's a memory that, that I'll never forget. And I think maybe honestly, in light of that, what I'd like us to do maybe with the last five minutes is maybe if each of us could just go around and take a minute to just say, to just say something that they appreciated about the person that they lost. Mel, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your daughter and then Clay and I, we could share a little bit about our father. I think that might be an appropriate way to wrap up our conversation. Yeah. It's a great question to end on. And I, I just want to point out is that the reason why that this, approach to your grieving friends is important is that while your friends may need to talk about the difficulty of their loss, much more important is for them to be able to talk about the life and the person Mm, who they've lost. So uh, my daughter Eva was 30 years old when she passed away from an autoimmune uh, disease that, that eventually got the best of her. But when she was healthy, she was beautiful. She was brilliant, full of integrity, insisting on honesty. And she kept me honest all the time. Somebody told me later on that knew her in college, they said she was the most radiant person I ever knew. And when that person told me that, I just choked up and I thought, yeah, it's, it's true. She was radiant. And her first name, Eva, in, in Hebrew means life. And her middle name, Helen, in Greek means light. Mm. And one of the things that we did after her passing is we set up a memorial fund called Life and Light Books, in which I'm self-publishing stuff to be translated in challenging parts of the world. But anyway, lovely person. I I would say this, people that are are reading my book, they say, I wish I would have known her. Hmm. And part of my grief was not just the person that my family lost, but the person who the world lost. And that there's so much garbage going on in the world. We need every person we can who is honest, and truthful, and uh, that's who she was. Uh, Thanks for sharing that. My father, I think often uh, you get that nurturing side from your mom. You get the sweet, loving, typically, right? You would get that from your mother. I learned how to love people from my father. My father was so sweet so loving, so kind, so nurturing. My father, uh, <laughs> I, and my mom is great. My mom is uh, is amazing. She was definitely like the tough one. I don't think I've ever heard my mom apologize. She was just like, this is what it is. And that's who she had to be. My father would apologize if he, if, even if he took a joke too far, right? Like he would sit down with you and he would apologize to, to, to me as, a, as his child at a young age. And so what I will always, as I, I just got married and, and one day my wife and I hopefully have kids and I can, I know that I'm getting my, my nurturing and my loving or, or expressively showing my love uh, from my father. He was a brilliant artist. He's been showcased. He was a photographer for the Daily News. He was a special human 
he had probably the most crass sense of humor and i loved that as a kid growing up um but he was he was just so always full of joy yeah i think if i can sum it up like i learned how to express love from my father mm. wow wow that's fantastic yeah yeah, I mean, you know, my my father, he he was someone who was he was very quiet, but he was very present. And I really appreciated that he really had my well-being in mind as a priority in his life, and that's something that I took for granted and realized isn't something to take for granted. But he was someone who just consistently he was someone who really grinded and worked hard. He was an electrician for the Long Island Railroad and would work overtime and just just to provide for us and uh, but still maintain the time with his free time very little free time that he had to be present in things that that I cared about and so that was something that I feel like I learned from him just the value of, of really caring about what matters to other people even if you're not on a full tank and you have all the energy to really just be able to, to think about what matters to others and, and be invested in that. And so, um, so yeah, that's something that I've taken and I've, I've always really appreciated, but yeah. So is, um, is, it fair, is it fair to say that not a lot of people have asked you guys the question, tell me about your father. I think this is the first time someone has wow. asked me. About <laughs> wow. My yeah. 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 Wow. Well, yeah. listen, to anybody who's listening, here's a gift you can give somebody mm. who has lost a loved one. Just say to them, tell me about your mom. Tell me about your brother, your father, your daughter. Just, wow. It, it's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. It feels amazing to to, to share. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mel. Clay, do you have any final thoughts? No, I. That was uh, perfect. I I got some processing to do. Good processing. I'm I'm very <laughs> happy that I was just able to do that and share about my yeah. father. So thank you. That was a gift for for this day for sure. Yeah, thank you so much, Mel. The book is called Chronicle of Grief. We will put a link in the show notes. You could purchase it wherever you could get a book. And yeah, this was a book that really yeah just brought me through processing in a very accessible way my own grief, understanding and reflecting tangibly on so many aspects and angles of grief. And so Mel, I really feel like this book is going to bless a lot of people. And and so we thank you for that. But we also thank you for uh, taking the time out to have this conversation with us. So thank you so much for joining us on City Image. Great conversation, guys. I, I, I appreciated it. Yeah, thank Thanks, you, Mel, for sure. City image.